Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. Your Sooners make the trip up to Lincoln, Nebraska and come home with a 49-14 win, moving to 3-0 on the season. I'm Adam Jacquez alongside Tyler Burton and Corbin Polson. Guys, how are we feeling? Starting 3-0, got a big road win on the uh, on the calendar, I guess, already. So uh, Sooners looking good. Yeah, feel good. Adam Corbin, welcome back. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. But yeah, feel good. Uh, Oklahoma, for the first time, it feels like in a long time, we finally did something that we were supposed to do, going on the road and dominating a really, really bad football team, looking like the superior opponent uh, outside of the first three to four minutes of the game. Uh, but from that point on, Oklahoma just turned it on. And yeah, feel really good coming out of this one. And it's on to K-State. Guys, is Nebraska the worst team on our schedule? Now that Kansas looks so good, maybe. Uh, I mean, Texas Tech. Even non-conference? Even non-conference. Like everybody, everybody. Like, oh, there's, an ar- there's an argument to be made that you can they- make the case. <laughs> I think UTEP has looked pretty bad since since we played them. There Have was they uh, worse than Nebraska, though? Like, I think that would be a dogfight. It would be a fantastic game. There was a there was a Nebraska fan a couple rows behind me halfway through the third quarter. He was screaming, "We we we paid seven and a half million dollars to just avoid waiting three more weeks for to fire Scott Frost, and this is what we get." So I don't know. There was probably not a happier uh, guy in America outside of OU fans than Scott Frost, who was probably just chilling, you know, looking at his eight million dollar check. Uh, that he just got and uh, enjoying Nebraska getting their ass kicked, but no, it was a good uh, it was a good game. Uh, Adam Corbin, we've been to a lot of away games uh, in our times as OU fans, you know, both working and, and as a fan. But you know, I've, I've been to College Station, you know, Ohio State, all uh, most of the uh, venues in the Big Twelve, and I just want to come out and say the fan experience in Lincoln, Nebraska, the the Nebraska fan base probably hands down the nicest group of people I've ever been around as an opposing team uh, fan. Uh, just the hospitality. I mean, even, you know, from when we got there on Friday, you know, playing golf, every, everybody was, you know, extremely, uh, you know, courteous, uh, you know, welcome to, to Lincoln. We're glad you're here. Hope you enjoy the game tomorrow. And then, Adam, I can remember walking out of the game uh, with, you know, a couple minutes left in the fourth quarter on Saturday. I had Nebraska fans as we were walking back to our car inviting us to our tailgate to have something to drink and eat. Like, who does that? You just got your ass beat by 40. Who does that? So, huge shout-out to the fans. who knows who they are right now does that. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> that's a fair point. But shout-out to the fans uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, extreme class from top to bottom. Uh, we had a good time, and hopefully we have a chance to go back to Lincoln, you know, in the in the not-too-long future. How was the atmosphere, guys? I know you both were there. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, they got pretty loud there and the intro, you know, music and everything before the game was was pretty cool. It got me in the kind of the mood of like, oh, man, like I'm ready to run out on the field and just like take these guys on with the team. Um, so it was exciting. Like the atmosphere was was pretty epic right there at the beginning. And then, you know, the air went out pretty quickly after OU got up by, you know, two touchdowns uh, there in the what first quarter. So it, it's it's sad to see. Um I mean, there's just the, the fans were so good. They they lasted yeah. much longer than I would have expected them to. Now I didn't have Agreed. the same experiences that Tyler did, where people were coming up to me and saying welcome or anything like that. Like, not that people were being rude. Like, there was no instances of people being rude or saying things to me um, when I was out and about town, you know, the night before or at the game. But it's just like, man, this could be so much more special, and it just mm-hmm. isn't because they just suck at football. 
Well, the Nebraska intro video, it was like kind of like 50-50. Nebraska highlights, OU highlights, so that was kind of weird, but they had the old, you know, 90s Chicago Bulls intro music uh, kind of leading the team, you know, through the tunnel. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then the fan base, like you said, Adam, the, if if that if that game would have been in Norman and it was the opposite, Owen Field, Gaylord Family Local Memorial Stadium, that place would have been empty at halftime. We all know this. Yeah. But, I mean, outside of the student section, that place was probably – Still 85 to 90% full midway through the fourth quarter. So shout out to Nebraska fans. It is true. They are probably the most loyal fan base in the in the country. But, you know, it was one of those situations where uh, OU, you know, gets uh, is forced to punt in their opening series. Nebraska goes right down the field in just a couple of minutes. Casey Thompson throws that long touchdown pass. And, you know, Adam, I, it was kind of one. You know, the crowd was fantastic. It was electric inside the arena or inside the stadium. That place was rocking. And I'm not going to lie, Adam, it kind of crept into my mind, okay, here we go again, same song, different verse, uh, with OU going on the road, getting into a dogfight against an inferior opponent. And Adam, I don't know if you could tell from where you were sitting, but from the time the defense came off of the field after Casey Thompson threw that touchdown pass, I'd say a good seven to eight minutes was just Brent Venables giving that defensive group the business from, from start to finish. And then from that point forward, after Dylan Gabriel, you know, reeled off that 60-plus yard run, the switch flipped, and we saw Oklahoma play lights out for, for the next four quarters. So uh, it, it was a really, really impressive road environment. Can't wait to get back, and uh, I liked a lot from what we saw from this Oklahoma football team. How impressive was that, though? Like, we haven't seen that happen very often. And I know 2021 kind of scarred us. 2020 was kind of like that regroup and rebuild year, but – even in 2018, we didn't really see that. We didn't yeah. see an OU team come out, get hit in the you know mouth, and then just regroup and say, you know what, no more. Like we're done with this. We're shutting them down. We're the better team here. And Nebraska, I know that they're not great, but there's there's good enough players. Like Casey Thompson, we saw him contribute a lot when he was at Texas. We saw Anthony Grant. The dude was rushing for like 140 yards a game coming into this. Had never had uh, a play this year where he was tackled for a loss. Had multiple times that happened to him. Uh, you know, on Saturday afternoon, O'Shawn Mathis, the TCU transfer. He hasn't been as great at Nebraska, but he was good at TCU. Uh, Trey Palmer, the LSU transfer. He looks like a dude. He was the one that scored the touchdown in, in that opening drive for Nebraska. There's there's not a lot of talent, but there are some dudes still on that Nebraska team. And OU just said, you know, we're, we're going to be better in every single facet of the game and uh, adjusted. And that's something we just haven't seen from OU in a long time. Adam, I think was that it? was – go ahead. Was this as much about OU taking a step forward last weekend or was it really about how bad Nebraska is and it's easy to look good against a really bad Nebraska? Guys, they are so slow on that both was sides one of, of the ball. It's unbelievable. That was probably my biggest takeaway walking out of the stadium on Saturday was it's it's kind of shocking how far Nebraska has fallen. Um, from a football program standpoint, because you can just tell watching that game. And, you know, Adam, I think you could probably speak on to it as well. You know, being live in the stadium, seeing those guys, you know, up there matched up against Oklahoma, it was not the same caliber of athlete on both of those sidelines. Oklahoma was clearly uh, the superior team, bigger, faster, stronger. Um, They were more, they were better coached. That was, you know, that was apparent after the first three, four minutes of the football game. So I I think that it is a mixture, Corbin. Uh, Nebraska is not a good football team. Um, But then, kind of like what we talked about, 
it was on Oklahoma to do what they were supposed to do. They knew they were going into a hostile road environment. Nebraska had absolutely nothing to lose. They threw the kitchen sink at Oklahoma in the first couple of, uh, you know, the first series. And then once kind of emotion started to die down, Oklahoma was able to take control of this football game. And the better talent and the better team came out on top. We wore Nebraska down. So I think it is a good step in the right direction for Oklahoma. They did what they were supposed to do. We'll touch on it here in a little bit. You know, if have our expectations changed of this team going forward. Um, but yeah, this is a really good step in the right direction. This was something that Oklahoma was supposed to do going into Saturday. I agree. If you want to put Nebraska on the same level as UTEP or Kent State, that's fine. But OU went on the road in front of a massive stadium and did that to Nebraska, who definitely has some guys that are at least better than what Kent State has. Um, and again, like Tyler mentioned, they had nothing to lose. Interim coach, the guy they all love, the guy they all want to play hard for to help him get that job. And, you know, I think after that second middle second quarter, it was kind of like lay down time for Nebraska. But nevertheless, they came out and gave it their best shot early and, and they couldn't, you know, stem the tide from the Sooners. And so I for me. I think it's another step in the right direction. Um, and I, that's kind of one of the things that I kind of wanted to ask you guys, because this was the first one that I think we had circled on the schedule as far as, you know, this is the first test for OU. Nebraska may end up being 1-11, 2-12. They may be absolutely awful. Big 10 but, West champs. Big 10 West champs. <laughs> but but they, uh, it's still a measuring stick game for me, and I still see incremental improvements across the board for this team. We saw the running game look a lot better. We saw the defense continue to get better. We saw different names show up. Um, everyone's talking about Jaron Canick, but Deshaun White looked really good before he got ejected. Jaden Davis was playing really well. So you're continuing to see different names on that defense. The offense is starting to hit a little bit more of a rhythm. And I just feel like, yeah, this, this team looks like a playoff team. Maybe not like one or two, but I think it looks like a team that can really get in there and be in strong competition uh, by the time November runs. So I think I was the only one that pre predicted OU to go to the playoffs. Have you guys changed your perspective at this point based on what we saw so far? No. No. I think that the national perception of Oklahoma changed after the game on Saturday. You know, we've seen it from all the talking heads, you know, both locally but also on the national media, um, like Danny Cannell, Josh Pay, people that watched Oklahoma's performance against Nebraska. Yes, it was a deflated, um, less talented team in Nebraska compared to Oklahoma, but um, they still went up there and did what they were supposed to do. So now everybody's high on Oklahoma. Everybody's a believer in Brent Venables. You know, we've heard about it for the last nine months. Like, you know, Venables in Oklahoma wasn't given the respect that they were due from what this program has accomplished over the last hundred years. But, you know, th this was a really, really good win, not from the standpoint that Oklahoma just defeated a, you know, a kind of a really, really bad team but they did what they were supposed to do. They went into a hostile road, road environment, took care of business, put the game out of reach going into halftime. And guys, you know, to me, the real season starts now. We thought that Nebraska was going to be, uh, you know, kind of a, a huge, you know, that was going to be a game where we learned a lot about this Oklahoma team. Did they take a, a big step forward? Yes. But do I, do I think I know what this Oklahoma team is three games into the season? No, not really just because there is such a huge talent gap between Oklahoma and the free previous three teams. Um, K-State is going to be – if Oklahoma does to K-State what they just did to Nebraska and with K-State's front seven with Deuce Vaughn at running back, they have a joke of a quarterback right now, the way he's played the first three games, then I could start to get behind the page. Okay, this is more than just a Big 12 title contender. This is maybe a team that has a shot to get to the college football playoff if they can stay healthy. But uh, 
Adam, the, the, the huge part for me, it, the coaching is what the night and day difference is for me. The in-game adjustments, these guys are prepared from the get-go. They're able to make changes throughout the game based on what the other team is doing to them, and it's, it's just really refreshing to see. Oklahoma is in, a really good, is in a really good place right now. It's still a no for me, Adam, honestly, and this is going to sound terrible because this guy just led the Sooners to a massive victory up in Lincoln. I still have major question marks about Dylan Gabriel. He has some throws that are great, and he has some throws that are guys are wide open. And he yeah. can't make the throws. And one of these days, we're going to come up against a team, whether it, maybe we do get to the playoff, and they're going to make him throw. And can he be that guy that wins a team with his arm? I'm not convinced of that as of September 20th, 2022. I don't see it. The, the, the reason this offense was humming as much as it was because there were gaping holes that the offensive line was making. And I don't even know if I can compliment the offensive line because I, I, I genuinely think Nebraska is that bad where it's just guys were running wide open. So I don't know if we learned anything about this offense outside of they scored a lot of points against a really, really bad team. If Dylan Gabriel is out running your entire defense, no offense to anybody on Nebraska, but that shouldn't happen. He's 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 a he's solid speed, but he shouldn't be like burning past anybody. And that's what he did on the touchdown run. So I'm not convinced his arm is there for this to be a legit playoff contender when he goes up against possibly this weekend against K State, a Baylor, an Iowa State guys who by then are going to have enough film on this OU offense to actually game plan around it. I'm not convinced he's the guy for that quite yet. I hope I'm wrong. But guys, I started asking this question weeks ago. We mentioned on the podcast, they're, they're big questions about what he can do as a passer. We'll see. He definitely he definitely missed some throws. I mean, the the deep ball down the field to, to Farouk, that's one he's going to want to have back. That's probably a walking touchdown. Um, the screen pass that he wasn't able to get completed to Eric Gray, if he, get, if he gets that pass completed, um, Eric Gray is probably still running at this point right now. Yes, you, you can take the good with the bad, but those two plays that I just mentioned, when you're playing Texas, Oklahoma State, Baylor, those are two throws that have got to be made for for Oklahoma to win those ty- those types of football games. Um, but you know, Corbin, even though he isn't as consistent as what we've seen over the last five to six years with Baker, Kyler, and Jalen, who if you watched last night, my God, what he's doing in the NFL this year. But he hasn't. He's not turning the football over. We were turnover free for for the first three games outside of the second stringers. Um, so I can take a little bit of the good with the bad. If he's going to continue to play clean, good, sound, solid football. Um, then I can take with you know maybe a miss or two here here and there, but I, I think he's played extremely well. Um, that was the play of the game for me. That turned all the momentum. That kind of righted the ship, uh, and we were able to to go back out there and you know start the process of <laughs> beating Nebraska by thirty five. Was it just me, guys, or did the tempo of the offense slow down a little bit on Saturday? I think it did a little bit. Yeah, the I was watching the time of possession throughout the first half, and it was relatively even, so it slowed a little bit. Um, but they were still running pretty fast. Um, you know, it's as far as Dylan Gabriel goes. Yeah. He's not perfect. Um, he's, he's a pretty good quarterback. He's not Baker Mayfield and very few people are, but I look at this team and I go, okay, the defense is significantly better. Uh, my, my hopes are are really high for them. I think they're going to continue to progress and continue to get better. I don't know what that will work out to statistically wise or rankings wise, but I think they are going to be very effective. And then you look at, okay, special teams. We tweeted about this earlier today, uh, the quote from Brent Venables saying, you you can't be aggressive on offense and defense and then passive on special teams. It just doesn't work. 
And uh, that was something Lincoln Riley liked to do. So mm-hmm. look at, you know, we already had more punt returns for three games than we did in what, 14 games or 13 games mm-hmm. last year. And so the special teams and the defense are significantly better. I think that's just going to set Dylan Gabriel up for, you know, not having to carry as much load as we've seen from quarterbacks in the past. So I think we can get away with pretty good, but not great necessarily. And then I look across the country and say, Clemson, I don't think that they're, you know, what they should be to be a playoff team. And then you're looking at, okay, who is that fourth team that sneaks in there? Is it Michigan? Is it USC? BYU kind of knocked themselves out. So I I don't know. I think that fourth spot is really up for grabs like it traditionally is most years. And uh, I I like OU's chances. I know it's UTEP, Kent State, and Nebraska, but Oklahoma's first team defense, 13-3 and seven points given up over the first three weeks of the season. That is a huge jump uh, in in what we've seen from this defense compared to years past. Now, guys, um, tell me if you agree or disagree on this. I know that we're three weeks into the season. We've played three completely different style opponents, and I know that we've got three quarter or two quarterbacks over the next two weeks with Adrian Martinez at K-State and Max Duggan uh, at TCU, but those are going to be two opponents in the Wildcats and the Horn Frogs that are predominant running teams. So I really don't think that this team is going to be uh, tested on the defensive side of the football, particularly in the back end with the secondary until we march into the Cotton Bowl on October 9th and Quinn Ewers is trotting out there uh, for, for the Texas Longhorns. So do you, do you feel the same if it's will. Hudson Card? Yeah. Because yeah. it could be Jalen Daniels the following week that really tests the secondary for the first well, time. Well, I, I guess the point that I'm saying is whether it is Dylan Gate or whether it is Hudson Card or Quinn Ewers, one of those two guys, that's going to be the best quarterback that Oklahoma has played. And best receivers probably. And too. best receivers, probably the best offensive line group. Maybe outside of K-State, we'll, we'll dive into that here in a second because K-State's got some guys despite what happened against Tulane over the weekend. But I guess the best way to boil it down, and again, one one final touch on the offensive line, I know that Nebraska was not good up front. But, like I said, getting Wanye Morris back, having Anton Harrison, Tyler Guyton, and Wanye Morris, that three-headed monster that you can rotate between those two tackle positions, that's a lot of added depth that Oklahoma now has at the disposal, and especially when you can keep guys like Savion Bird and Jake Taylor inside, slowly, slowly working at those guard positions. Um, having Wanya back, I think it makes all the difference in the world. But we'll we'll see starting at seven o'clock on Saturday night how much of a dif- how much of a difference it is for this Oklahoma team now that we're you know at full strength on the offensive line position. Yeah, do we want to dive in a little bit on K State? Let's do it. Yeah, j- just a few things, guys. When K State has the football, um, Oklahoma fans, you've known about this for the last couple of years. Deuce Vaughn. That's the that's the alpha. That's who you've got to stop on Saturday for Oklahoma. Um, Deuce Vaughn has did not have his best game against Tulane uh, last weekend. The Kansas State offense as a whole did not have their best game against Tulane on Saturday. Two of fifteen on third down conversions, just one of five on fourth downs. Just a really really sloppy game offensively for Chris Kleiman's bunch. And you know, guys, Adrian Martinez. We I, I'm as guilty of it as, as anybody. I think that the change of scenery going from Nebraska to K State was going to be extremely beneficial for this guy. But Adrian Martinez has thrown for just 306 yards and one touchdown in three games of football, averaging less than five yards of completion. So, if I'm Brent Venables and if I'm Ted Roof, Deuce Fawn. That's that's what it comes down to for me. You load the box up, stop the running game. Um, force Adrian Martinez to beat your secondary. Um, and, you know, guys, Chris Kleiman, if I'm him, if if K 
Kansas State is going to have any chance to win this game on Saturday in Norman, Deuce Vaughn has to touch the football minimum 25 times, whether that's in the running game, whether that's catching the ball out of the backfield. We all know what how effective Deuce Vaughn was over the last couple of years with Skylar Thompson, a quarterback, utilizing uh, uh, Deuce's ability to both you know catch and run the football. They've got to get Deuce going on Saturday night if they hope to have any chance and because I'm not high on Adrian Martinez for the first three weeks of the season. It's just been it – it has not been a good brand of football from the Wildcats. you got to take that with a grain of salt because we saw what Martinez did in Norman last year too. For sure. Um, and so it's, it's, it's easy to say he can do nothing, but if you don't play up to the caliber of the defense that we expect here at Oklahoma, he'll go off on you. I, I can't help but to wonder if special teams plays a really big role – in this game on Saturday. Um, I do know, I think it's Philip Brooks. Uh, I watched, I don't remember who he, who he ran it back against, but um, it might've been Mizzou speedy guy, a guy who could be a game changer. And I can't help, but to keep in the back of my mind of all the positives from last Saturday and, and Lincoln, we're missing, you know, 35 yard chip shot field goals. So really keep an eye on the, the special teams come Saturday, but if this team can go and play to the expectation of um, what I think we're, we're, we're coming to expect from this team, I, I think we're fine. Um, but guys, K-State's messed with us too much in, in the past uh, decade for me to feel overly confident about uh, coming in and doing the same thing we did in, in Lincoln last weekend. Martinez is a guy that there's enough track record that I think it's safe to say his trip to Norman last fall with Nebraska is – the outlier it's this trevor knight type of game and i think the the track record is more consistent especially over the first couple of games here uh, in k-state is that he can't pass the ball uh he's very inaccurate he's not effective um you look at their third and fourth down conversion rates like you mentioned tyler it's i think combined less than 30 percent success rate on those uh, two downs so deuce vaughn is the guy that i want to see OU contain and the key there is going to be I think Danny Stutzman and David Aguebu specifically not overcommitting once the play develops. They like to run that really slow, give the ball off to Deuce Vaughn. He hides behind those big offensive linemen, just waits for those linebackers to overcommit in one direction. He goes the other way and, and is loose. Uh, Deuce is loose, as they like to say. So I think it's going to be critical for those linebackers to you know stay uh, assignment sound. And you know, you're, you're not going to be able to see Deuce behind those linemen. Just wait for him to pop out, but don't lose containment in those scenarios. And if you can do that, I think it could get pretty ugly in Norman Saturday night because Adrian Martinez is not the guy that's going to be able to pass this team back into a game. Mm-hmm. What, what defense do you guys expect on Saturday? Because we've gone two games of really seeing pretty vanilla, a lot of four-man front, and then Saturday – completely different defense than what we've seen all year long. And really they stuck with that mainly three down lineman. What do we see on Saturday? Maybe a little more four man front on this just I think because you, of Deuce Vaughn. I think you go back to what you saw against UTEP where you're going to see a four two five with that fifth secondary player being that cheetah position into Sean White. That's going to be, you know, playing predominantly closer to the line of scrimmage because like I said, that's, that's K-State's bread and butter. If they're going to have any success, any chance of beating Oklahoma on Saturday night, They've got to be able to run the football. So, like I said, load the box, take Deuce Vaughn completely out of the equation, make force Adrian Martinez to beat you down the field with his arm, uh, and we'll see if they can do that. But yeah, I think that you'll see. A, I think you'll see a good mixture. You'll see four down linemen, 
uh, you'll see, you know, a Guaybu and Stutzman. Then I think you'll see a combination of Deshaun White and maybe even Jaron Kanick uh, playing up there a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage, covering up the tight end uh, and, you know, being a steady force and, you know, stopping the run game for Kansas State. But it's going to be a we lot know of fun. it's going to be Kanick in the first half, right? No, it's it's Deshaun White. He got suspended uh-huh. in the first half. Yeah, it was the first half, so he'll be yeah. back. Uh, oh, so he's – oh, yeah. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I thought he had to miss the first half of the second game. No. No, yeah. he'll, be, he'll be back. Okay, yeah. cool. I also agree with the four-man front. I think with the quarterback run game, they're often picking up extra blockers. So the more you can get Jeffrey Johnson and Jalen Redman, your big defensive tackles that can eat multiple blocks uh, as often as possible, that's going to help you in that QB run game. So I think we will see some more four-man front. But Brent Venables is the expert, so maybe and I think this sleeve. I think that this is a good opportunity. You might see another, which again, another, it's been three straight games of really solid football from this guy, but I think that this is going to be an opportunity for Billy Bowman uh, to come up closer into the box at the line of scrimmage because especially on a lot of that read option stuff where they try to get uh, Adrian Martinez out on the edge, uh, if the if the defensive end crashes down, you're going to be in a one-on-one matchup with Billy Bowman and Adrian Martinez. So expect a lot of things out of number five this week. And, you know, it – Guys, it kind of feels like over the last five to six years, the excitement level has been about, okay, what's Lincoln Riley going to do? How is he going to scheme things up to attack the defense that we're going to be playing on Saturday? Whereas now I'm kind of at the point where I can't wait to see what Brent Vittables and Ted Roof is going to do to combat what the opposing team's offensive strengths are and what they're going to try to do to attack Oklahoma. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch because, like I said, UTEP, Kent State, Nebraska – Three not very good football teams. Nebraska's probably the worst. Can't believe I'm saying that, how far that program has fallen. But taking another step up in competition against Kansas State with the talent that they've got on the line of scrimmage, especially in the front seven on the defensive side of the football, I think we're going to learn a lot more about this Oklahoma team this week compared to what we have the previous three seasons. Or three 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 weeks. <laughs> yeah. It might how be about, three seasons. How about when, uh, when OU has the ball, what uh... – what stands out to you on the K-State defense that you're going to be looking for? It's the it's the starting defensive line for this group. Um, not even going to try to pronounce this guy's name. Um, Adam, you I'll leave this. Yeah, go, go, Felix, go ahead. Felix Anadike Uzoma. Yes, probably. Um, well, not probably. Uh, he, he probably is the best defensive lineman in the Big 12 Conference this year. Hell of a performance last year, setting the sack record um, at K-State. Um, but, you know, guys – it's kind of coach speak and it's almost kind of cliche, but we've heard it all uh, for the first three weeks from, from Jeff Levy. It's not about what the opponent can do. It's all about how well Oklahoma can execute. So the front seven for this uh, K-State defense, that is the strength of this team. But if Oklahoma can execute, if they can be the more physical team um, at the point of attack, if Oklahoma can run the football, Dylan Gabriel can play, you know, good, clean football, Oklahoma should, it should be another, you know, three touchdown win for for the Sooners on Saturday. Take care of their defensive line up front, run the football, hold up in pass protection, give Dylan Gabriel time to throw to find Marvin Mims down the field. Um, I, I I'm confident in this one on Saturday for Oklahoma if they show up. And if there's one thing that we've seen from Brent Venables, OU's going to show up on Saturday. I think the this game will definitely be a great measuring stick for Dylan Gabriel, and maybe he needs to just be more of a game manager in this particular situation. Um, you know, over time, I think that K State offense is going to gift opportunities for the OU offense, 
And this is not a defense that Dylan Gabriel is going to be able to scramble out of the pocket and, and do any type of running or extending plays. I think they're just way too fast for that. Uh, we saw them absolutely chase down the Missouri quarterbacks a couple weeks ago, and um, they were just destroying them. And this K-State defense already has seven interceptions on the year, and only one of those came against their uh, FCS opponent, South Dakota. So there's some ball hawk guys that I think he's going to have to look out for. And so far, he's been able to stay away from the interceptions. I don't think he had one that was really even all that close against Nebraska. So if he can continue to stay turnover free and just take what the defense gives him, not try to do too much. I know that kind of sounds counter nature to the way Dylan Gabriel plays. But this is a game, I think, more of like a, a war and a marathon with a team like K-State. You know, live to play another down, live to play another series. Don't put your defense in a bad position because over time, um, you know, Adrian Martinez is going to probably give you the opportunity to win this game pretty handily. Well, Adam, I think that Kansas State is probably going to take the same type of approach that OU is on Saturday. They're going to try to stop the run. They've seen the performances that Eric Gray and Marcus Major have had. They see that this OU offensive line is continuing to gel. If you're Kansas State, I think that you've got to do anything and everything in your power to take away OU's ability to run the football consistently and force Dylan Gabriel uh, to to make those throws down the field, force him to make those throws in competitive tight windows. And I think that that's, that's the blueprint for Kansas state and, you know, their defense is good enough to, to get things done. I know that they lost last week to Tulane, but South Dakota, Missouri and Tulane, their defense has held them to zero 12 and 17. So something's got to give on Saturday for one of these two teams. That's got to be it, guys. It's got to be taking OU's run game away. Um, I keep going back to it. One of these teams is going to figure out that if you make Dylan throw, that is your best chance of winning this ballgame. I think that happens this weekend. So a lot of my concerns and and questions about Dylan Gabriel could be answered on Saturday. We'll see. I'm either going to be very right or very wrong because I really think that's what K-State's going to do is they're going to load the box and make that guy throw. So... Can Marvin Mims, can Theo Weiss, can Drake Stoops, can Braden Willis, who's all beca- all of a sudden become a real weapon, um, you know, in that uh, that tight end position, can those guys break open against a better, de- much better defense than what we saw last weekend? That's going to be a big question. K State has yet to give up 400 yards in total offense to an opponent, and OU has yet to fail to hit that 400 yard mark in any of their games offensively. So mm-hmm. something will give on Saturday, and. Uh, Adam, Hopefully it'll be the Sooners coming Adam, out on top there. One final thing on this, you know, we we're always asking ourselves, what are we going to continue to learn about this team um, as they continue to play games each week? But I think that one of the things that's going to be really interesting to see is over these next two weeks, not just what are we going to learn about the this OU football team against Kansas State and TCU, but what is Gary Patterson in Texas going to learn? about this Oklahoma offense over the next couple of weeks. It's going to be the two best teams that you've played up to this point on your schedule. It's going to be the two most physical teams that you've played up to this point on your schedule. We all know Texas has the the, the athletes. They've got the guys to be able to give Oklahoma fits if they're coached well and they come out and they play well. We saw that against Alabama two weeks ago. So what uh, what is Dylan Gabriel and this Oklahoma offense going to put on film that – Gary Patterson and Sarkeesian are going to say, that's exactly what we're going to do. What we're going to do. This is how we're going to attack this team. This is going to give us the best chance to shut uh, Dylan Gabriel and this Oklahoma offense down here in three weeks. But, you know. I, I hate to give compliments. That's a hell of a win by Longhorns last weekend, especially being down 17-7 and coming back and honestly just owning the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty impressive. We'll see. 
Yeah, I think that Gary Patterson comment's interesting, and we'll have more time to unpack that. I was looking at the last couple times Gary Patterson went up against uh, Baylor, which is the offense that we run now. Uh, Jeff Levy was was on staff at Baylor at that point, and they gave up 61 points and mm-hmm. 41 points in 2014 and 2013, respectively. So I think I think Jeff Levy will find some ways. Uh, but, of course, we, again, have a lot of time to, to discuss that. Uh, let's talk a little bit uh, around the conference and maybe some national teams as well. We'll do a quick little uh, buy-sell. And I think some interesting things are developing around the college football world. Um, there is a, a sneaky good matchup in the Big 12 uh, this weekend. I think it's – is it at Iowa State? Baylor is traveling to uh, the Cyclones there. Cyclones two, favorites. Two are they weird? All right. So you've got – Iowa State undefeated, beat Iowa for the first time in six years. Baylor, a lot of the media darling, a lot of the favorites still to win the Big 12, even though they took the L in Provo to uh, BYU. Uh, Are you guys buying or selling that the winner of this game will be in Arlington, whether that's against OU or someone else at the end of the season? Too early to buy that. So at this point, I got to sell Oklahoma State, Texas, OU, too, too many Kansas too many dogs in the fight for this to be a, a, a for sure buy. So I'm going to sell it for now. But would it surprise me if one of these teams end up being in the Big 12 championship? No. Do I think it's due to this game? No. Yeah. Couldn't have said any better myself. This is the first week of conference play. These two teams still have, you know, <laughs> some really, really tough opponents coming down the pipeline for both yeah. of them, uh, both of which have got really, really tough road games ahead for them. So um, I, I will say this, if Iowa State wins this game, I would feel much, much better about them making it to Arlington uh, uh, as opposed to if Baylor wins this game. It tells more about what Iowa State is, I think, I th- than it does. I think so. Baylor, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's kind of – we talk about it time and time again. Matt Campbell, when there's not any expectations in Ames this year, you know, brand-new starting quarterback, had to replace a huge bulk of the team, that core nucleus that's been in Ames over the last two to three years. Hunter Deckers can play, guys. Um, so if, if they can figure out a way to knock off Baylor at home this weekend, you're 4-0. and um, Then you've got at Kansas, a K-State team. There's a really, really good chance Kansas uh, or Iowa State is 6-0 and uh, going into that final four-game stretch of at Texas, OU, West Virginia, and at OSU. So, I like well, Matt Campbell's going to have plenty of expectations in Lincoln, Nebraska next year. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think Nebraska is going to get their coach from the Big 12, whether that's Lance Leipold or even Dave Aranda, who there's been a lot of rumors about. And mm-hmm. people may say, why uh, would he do that? I'll give you a several million reasons he would do that. And the Big I'm not, can pay a lot. Baylor, Baylor's got money too. Away. I'm not touching Bay, it. Baylor's not, got a lot of money. Baylor will match whatever Nebraska does. I wouldn't rule Jeff Levy out as a possible candidate for that as well. Just saying. Is that saying, Methodist money? Methodist? What are they down there in Baylor? Baylor's, Baylor's Baptist. Baptist. Thank you very much. The Baptist money. There's money there. There's Rumor Matt, Matt Rule was like a top five paid coach when mm-hmm. he was in town. What's a random making right now? He just signed a hell of an extension. Let me look that up. Yeah, look that up. While while you're doing that, I'll go ahead and uh, introduce our next buy or sell here. Pac-12 had a pretty decent week. Uh, Washington beat up on Michigan State up in Seattle, and then USC uh, getting a win over Fresno State. I'd say that's USC's most impressive win thus far. Uh, they haven't really played too many good teams, but yeah. uh, they handled the Bulldogs pretty handily. So uh, 
are you buying or selling the Pac-12 will find a college football playoff uh, candidate, or I guess someone that will make the college football playoff between Washington, USC, and I'll even throw in the other two undefeated teams in the Pac-12. Actually, three other UCLA is undefeated, Washington State, Oregon State. I don't think those are the top mm-hmm. contenders, but I'll throw them out there if you want to pick one of those teams. Dave Aranda's making $6 million. Baylor could pony up some more money if it was re- if no. they were required to. As far as the Pac-12 goes, yes. I think that the narrative is already being written and it's already being talked about with USC. That's kind of yep. college football's darling this year. Um, and, you know, I, guys, I'm, I'm, I hate to say it, but I'm pretty surprised with how good USC has looked over the first four. Did you watch Saturday night? I watched a little bit of it. I watched more of the first two games of the season. Um, I'm not going to lie, I fell asleep. It was, a, it was a long drive back from Lincoln, but I fell asleep right right after the first quarter, I think. I didn't see Fresno State's quarterback go down and get carted off. If he stays in the game, that's a game. I, I'm very, very confident in that because that is the shakiest Caleb has looked all year long so far. His numbers, if you just look at them on a stat sheet, great. Awesome, mm-hmm. wonderful. But if you watched him, it's the, he, he's uncertain. He was very, just holding on the ball way too long. If he does that at Oregon State, within, that's going to be that's a hostile a crowd. That's a game this weekend. That is a game. It's not Stanford. I know they've already played on the road once this year. Stanford fans don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Oregon State fans, there's nothing else to do out there. We hear that all the time about being in Oklahoma. That will be a raucous environment. Do I think USC wins? Yes, but I think that is a game that is very interesting this weekend. Um, I'm with you, though, Tyler. I I think the narrative is being written about USC. It's being written about Caleb Williams, and nobody on the East Coast is going to stay up late enough to watch any of the games anyway, so they don't really know what's going to be happening in the game. They're only going to see stat lines and final scores. If there's one thing we know about Lincoln Riley's offense, he's going to put up good stat lines. So... Caleb just has to keep doing what Caleb's doing, and this is going to be a USC team that is going to be, um, from the media perspective, pushed into that Final Four. Mm-hmm. I don't know who beats them in the Pac-12. Utah seems to be the only hope. And Oregon, if you get a good Bo Nix like last weekend, Oregon can beat them. But Bo Nix has two good games of the year, so can he save that for USC or can he not? That's the big question. But outside of that, I think it's Utah or, or I don't know who else who else beats them. It's a very favorable schedule for USC looking down the pipeline. Yes, they've got a road trip to to Corvallis this weekend to take on Oregon State. That's going to be a closer game than I think many people are expecting. I think the line's at six and a half right now. We'll see what that does as we get a little bit closer to kickoff. But you avoid Oregon and you avoid Washington in the regular season. What it looks like right now, those are probably the two other best teams in the Pac-12 right now other than Utah, which you've got a, you've got that October 15th date when uh, the, the Trojans uh, go on the road Good to Salt Lake City. That's going to be a big one. Colorado, trash, Cal. We'll see. It's a home game. And he's high on Utah. I'm still high on Utah. They, they lose to Florida, and Florida doesn't look very good. Uh, yeah. Well, here, here's a team he's talking about. Washington State went on the road to Camp Randall, beat Wisconsin. Wisconsin's yeah. probably not as good as they normally are, but that's still impressive for Washington State. Um, that could be a sneaky little little game there. I wouldn't even put it past like Arizona at this point. They're much improved this year. That game's on the road. It I, Lincoln's actually trying a lot harder this year than he was last year. So I think some of us maybe are saying, oh, they'll just lose to anybody that's got somewhat of a pulse. But we have seen that in past years where we you know, a early team goes out to some other team's home stadium. Looks like garbage against a, a team that has no business playing with them. So, yeah, and. 
and we've got to stop giving USC and U, or USC and UCLA the benefit the benefit of the doubt when playing at home. There's no such thing really as a home field <laughs> advantage with both of those two teams. And guys, one thing let's not forget about it too. And I, I know a lot of people are writing this team off, but November 26, final regular season game of the year, they do take on Notre Dame. So that's a team that's got a lot of talent up front, which is something that Lincoln Riley struggled with over the last five years, especially Alex Grinch's side of the football. So don't don't rule out Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame's bad. Come on now. Yeah, yeah, but what I'm saying is they've got they've got another eight or nine weeks to try to yeah. figure things out. So who knows what they are by the time we get to the end of the year. So, but, but you've, they look pretty bad right now. I'll yeah, say that. but yeah. you're right, Corbin at Utah, and if they can figure out a way to to win that game, you're probably facing Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. But back to the original question: if it's a one-loss USC or an undefeated USC. They're in. They, they are 100% in. Yeah, I agree with that. I think if Washington's undefeated, they're in. If they're one loss, I, I think, yeah, it's out. I and think Adam, I'm going to they can do with one loss. I know that it's still September 20th, but I'm scratching Oregon out. Even if Oregon runs the yeah. table, I still think that the, I don't think that the committee is going to be able to forgive a 40 point loss in the opener to Oregon, which is probably the team that they would get matched up with in the semifinals. So, I don't know. Uh, and yeah. they've got Bo Nix. They're not going to go undefeated. So <laughs> that, that is I'm telling is. you guys, that's that's the question. Bo Nix has two good games a year. <laughs> who's going to be the second game? <laughs> yeah. Because he's going to beat somebody who he's not supposed to beat. It's just a matter of who that is. I, and Lord knows, I have no idea. Well, that's, uh, that's enough Pac-12 talk for now. Let's get to our last uh, national uh, discussion here before we talk about bets. With a win this weekend against Florida, Tennessee is a realistic contender to win the SEC East. Are we buying or selling? Sell, because there is not a realistic contender in the SEC East outside of the Georgia Bulldogs. And I would take Kentucky over Florida or Tennessee at this point. Ooh, interesting. I like I like the Wildcats. I still am not sure exactly what they are, but I do like that they get Georgia really late in the year and they get them at home because – so much can happen between now and then. Like, does Stetson Bennett, you know, get a season-ending injury or something like that? That just changes the complexion of that particular game. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm not sure, but uh, I don't know. Tennessee is the type of team where they can score so many points, and I know Georgia's got great defensive talent, but sometimes offenses are just too good for the defenses of this day and age. Yeah. And could they be good enough that maybe they just outscore Georgia? And Georgia's got a great offense this year, but I'll, I'll answer that, Adam. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to theorize a path because I really don't want the Bulldogs to uh, repeat as national champions. But I don't know. It's it's better competition than last year, right? I mean, Florida's better, Wait. Tennessee's better, Kentucky's better. That that's tougher competition. You I'm would not think, sure Florida's better. Yeah, I, I'm. I don't know. It was kind of kind of a one-hit wonder kind of feels like with Anthony or Anthony Richardson and what Florida was able to do against Utah in week one. But Tennessee is an interesting story. They've got Florida at home this weekend, college game day. It's going to be checkered out inside Neyland Stadium. You figure out a way to win that game. You're 4-0. and You've got a bye week. Then you've got LSU, totally winnable game, even though it's in Baton Rouge. And then you've got Alabama coming to Knoxville, which, you know, guys, I know that the best team that Alabama's played this year, they struggled, should have lost to Texas. So, uh, with what Josh Heupel and Hinton Hooker are able to do on the offensive side of the football. I'm not ruling that out. Um, then, you know, going down the rest of their schedule, they get Kentucky at home. They get Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt to close out the season outside of a trip to Athens. So if they play their cards right, that game in Athens, Georgia, you're possibly looking at a one-loss Tennessee 
going into Athens with uh, the Big Ten or the SEC East on the line, which probably means that Tennessee will lose this weekend. <laughs> that would be very, uh, very Tennessee-esque to to do that. Um, time for some bets, I guess. Let's yeah. do some bets, guys. I'll tell you what: we all went three and two last week. Can we all agree that we'd live with that every single week if we could? Goodness. I don't want to say take our betting advice, but we have not had a losing week amongst any of us so far this season. Now, what was your first week, Adam? Two, two, and one. That's not oh, a losing okay. record. That's All not right, a losing record. That's fair. Fair enough. Yeah, guys, let's hop into it. Uh, it's it's bound to end at some point, so we we might as well ride as long as we can. Uh, hopping into bets, guys. I've got seven picks on the board. I've got to figure out how to get it down to five. Um, starting us off, I feel like this is too safe. Kent State versus Georgia. Give me the Bulldogs, minus 46. Uh, <laughs> seems too easy, but as you guys know me, I'm going to ride the hot hand as long as I possibly can. And Georgia's been covering like crazy. Give me the Bulldogs, minus 46, which is a freaking big line. But we're going to see where it goes. I so desperately wanted to take that. It's pro- I'm probably an idiot for leaving it off of my card. Pick number one for me, I'm going out to the SEC. Tulsa traveling to Oxford to take on Ole Miss. Rebels coming off of a dominant performance over Georgia Tech. Uh, the offense that uh, Lane Kiffin and Jackson Dart have got going right now, fantastic. Tulsa guys, as a matter of fact, didn't even know this until I started looking at the game. Tulsa's got the number one pass offense in America right now. So that's going to be a big test for the Rebels uh, defense in Oxford this weekend. Ole Miss favored by 21 and a half. To me, this is a battle that gets won in the in the trenches, and I think that Ole Miss is going to be too much for Tulsa to handle for four quarters. So Jackson Dart in this offense is going to put up points. Give me Ole Miss to cover the 21 and a half. I've got that same game, but I'm taking the over of 66. Tulsa mm-hmm. has scored, I think, 34-plus points in every single game this year. They've got a senior quarterback in Davis Brin, a senior senior wide receiver in uh, Keelan Stokes, who feels like he's been in college forever, that are absolutely mm-hmm. uh, tearing up defenses so far. So even... Even if Tulsa struggles to score, I still think Ole Miss scores a ton. So I think there's going to be a lot of points in that particular game. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, going on, let's go out to ACC. Clemson versus Wake Forest. I feel like this is the game where Clemson shakes up their quarterback room. And if so, I feel like this bet is screwed. But if they stick with DJ, give me the under 55 and a half in Clemson Ooh. versus Wake. Pick First under two. of the year. Pick number two for me. I'm betting on this guy again and again and again until he proves me wrong. But what's my logic every single week? Lincoln Riley in his first season against Pac-12 defenses. USC traveling on the road to Corvallis, take on Oregon State. USC favored by six and a half in this one. This game, guys, Oregon State's got a good offense. This could be a 55-48 type game um, on Saturday night in Corvallis. But I think that Caleb Williams will do just enough to give the uh, to give uh, USC a seven point victory, so give me the Trojans to cover the six and a half number. I haven't gained any ground on either of you over the last two weeks as we've had the exact same record. Uh, so I'm kind of glad that uh, you have that Clemson at Wake Forest game on your uh, pick slot there, Corbin. Ooh. I'm taking the over on this one, so I'm going the opposite way. Ooh. I'll have a chance to at least gain a game there. This game produced 75 points last year in uh, in Clemson. And now they're taking senior, you know, Sam Hartman uh, in the Demon Deeks there at home. And I took the over on the Wake Forest game last week. Liberty nearly took the upset, uh, failed on the two-point conversion at the very end of the game. That Wake Forest defense is not very good. So I think DJ will probably be able to stay in this game. 
and and rack up a ton of points. But I think Wake Forest can also score even on a, a very elite uh, Clemson defense. So I'm taking the over on 55 and a half. So far, Tyler and I's bets where we come in together have proved well. Hopefully that sticks around this week. I'm taking USC as well, minus six and a half versus Oregon State. Just keep riding those coattails, Corbin. I'll get. I'll take you home. Uh, pick number three for me. I'm staying out in the Pac-12 country. Put the trophy down. We've moved on. Coattails. It's Coat- amazing. Pick number three for me. I'm staying out in Pac-12 country. Arizona State. They fired their head coach. Herm Edwards got fired in the end zone on Saturday night. Poor guy didn't even get a chance to make it off the field. Utah going on the road. Minus 15 favorites. I like Cameron Rising. I like Tavion Thomas. We all just saw how how much a team can struggle the following weekend uh, with Nebraska losing by 35 to Oklahoma. So uh, I like Utah. I wish that this number would have stayed around that 13.5 to 14 number. 15 is a little tricky. That's an extra possession. But give me the Utes to go on the road to cover the 15 points. Feels like we're all picking around the same games because I have that exact game for the same reasons. And unlike how I felt last week for Nebraska, trying to keep that one close under a coach, I think this interim coach, things are just so bad at Arizona State right now. (laughs) They lost all their good players on offense. They picked up a good uh, transfer running back from Wyoming in uh, Zazavian Valaday, but that's not going to be enough. I think Utah absolutely steamrolls them. So did you guys... Did you guys see the report that came out earlier today that um, one of the opposing team's coaches made a claim, and again, this was completely anonymous who the coach was, but he kind of made the claim that Arizona State's staff was kind of feeding information to opponents because they wanted Herm Edwards fired? Yikes. So, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty dicey situation up there at Arizona State. Corbin, what do you got for number four? Give me uh, – let's go to Big Ten country, Adam. I don't know if you're going to like this or hate this. Minnesota at Michigan State. Give me Sparty. Bounce back week. Plus three. I'm not a buyer in Minnesota. They beat up on Colorado last weekend. Colorado is absolutely atrocious. I don't know why that line is in favor of Minnesota, but Sparty. Plus three. Minnesota just lost their best receiver, Chris Autumn Bell, uh, mm. for the rest of the year. So, yeah, you might be, might be onto something there. Pick number four for me. I'm staying out in the Big Twelve or in Big Ten country. I'm actually going to go to the older brother of the Michigan rivalry, Maryland, traveling to the Big House to take on the Wolverines. Michigan favored by 16 and a half points. I know that Maryland is playing extremely well. Um, Tagovailoa is playing really well at the quarterback position, but Michigan leading the country um, in scoring differential. Guys, 16 and a half points kind of feels like that's too low of a number. Maybe Vegas is Vegas knows something that we don't, but. Michigan went on the road last year to Maryland and beat them by 30-plus. So uh, a lot of this team remains the same. I like Michigan to continue the route that they're on right now um, and go 4-0 this weekend and cover the 16-and-a-half. A lot of y'all's picks seem too good to be true. Makes me nervous. <laughs> I you love the dis- board this week. Yeah, the disadvantage of going last makes it look like I'm copying Tyler, and now I have two games that match with Tyler. Uh, So I don't feel great, but I've also got the Wolverines covering the 16.5 against Maryland at home. Last year, this game in College Park, Michigan had no trouble just absolutely running away with this game. And I wasn't super impressed with the Terrapins, uh, what they were able to do at home last week against SMU. Granted, that's probably one of the better G5 schools out there, but winning by seven points, uh, I don't love that. I think uh, – they're going to have a difficult time against uh, Jim Harbaugh's crew in uh, Ann Arbor. So, Oh, Hotel. boy. Guys, I've got 
three three picks on the board. Got the under of Baylor, Iowa State. Got SMU plus two versus TCU. And I'm going to go with the K-State Wildcats plus 12 oh. in Norman. Mm. I, I am making a sacrifice for Sooner Nation, and I will continue to ride it until it goes wrong. I picked Nebraska last week. Turned out very well for the Sooners. I'm going to take the K-State Wildcats this week in hopes that it turns out very well for the Sooners. And I will continue to do this until it doesn't work anymore. A so sacrifice. You're welcome, Sooner Nation. I'm doing what I can. Hey, Adam, that sounds like, Adam, I think that sounds like the early stages of a built-in excuse if the betting card goes off the rails for Corbin. I don't want to hear about excuses. I mean, if, being if, that it took six months for you to get me a damn trophy to Colorado. I so desperately want to take Oklahoma with my final pick. I'm mad do at myself it. that I left him off my card a week ago. But the cards, Do it. The card's open. Do it. I'm going to go back to Big Ten country <laughs> in this one. Wisconsin going on the road. To Ohio State, Ohio State. You know what? Okay, screw it. We'll we'll we'll, we'll do this here. We'll scratch this. Okay, I'm getting rid of Ohio State minus 18. We're going to go ahead and add OU minus 12 to the card here. Um, I think that Oklahoma (laughs) builds off. Yeah, I think Oklahoma is going to build off what they did last week. Yes, this this is going to be an uptick in competition, but OU's at home, night game under the lights. We're going to build on this momentum, and OU is going to cover the 12 points, and that's going to be a big red X next to your column, Corbin. So throw that baby on there. I feel more confident about that pick now. <laughs> oh, I love it. I'm uh, I'm staying far away. My number one rule is I do not put OU on the card oh, because I cannot think about it. Uh, Ohio State's going to win by 40 now, you watch. Yeah. Um, for my last one, I've got a neutral site game. I've got the Razorbacks plus two against Texas A&M. I think Ooh. I look at this game and I just go, KJ Jefferson is the better quarterback by far on the field on uh, on Saturday night in Jerry World. And I don't think that the Razorbacks will be able to get 27 first downs and not score a touchdown like the Hurricanes did. So I, I think they're able to pull it out. Um, I, I still have a lot of doubts about Texas A&M. So I think the Razorbacks win that one outright. The Sweaty Sams. <laughs> the Sweaty Sams. Uh, let's go Adam, score prediction. score prediction. Yeah. I, I look at this game and I say, I just hate Adrian Martinez. Um, not personally. <laughs> I just don't like what he's going to be able to bring to the table as the quarterback. And so I've got OU 31 to, to 10. I don't necessarily know that this OU offense is going to roll. I think it's going to be a struggle. But I think if Adrian Martinez is at least – he's been so bad that like he hasn't even thrown an interception yet because he's been so inaccurate, not even the defense can get it. But I think OU is going to force him into a position where he'll have to throw it downfield quite a bit. I think that favors OU getting some very favorable uh, field position, whether that's on special teams or just through turnovers. I think OU is able to pull away and win fairly comfortably, 31-10. to 10. I'm going OU 24, K-State 21. Mm. What? But that goes against your pick. That's right, Corbin. I'm going Oklahoma 41, <laughs> Kansas State 17. <laughs> OU will cover on Saturday night in Norman. 41-17 Sooners. That would be impressive. Oh, boy. Can, I put, can, I put, can I put Ohio State back on there? No, it's too late. It's, it's on the card. Sounds to me like somebody quit, you know, building up excuses for when their card starts to go south. My God. Oh, you went to 24. 35, 31. Sooners, I think this uh, (laughs) offense is tested. 
by Deuce Vaughn and company. I'm telling you guys, it may not be Saturday, but one of these days I'm going to guess right in a close game. And until then, everybody should be thanking me for continuing the trend I started last week where I'm picking close games and turn into blowouts. I will do that all year long until it bites me in the butt. So one of you're the- welcome, country it's a big fucking sacrifice tyler i don't know i know you don't know anything about that yeah but that's what it is yeah one of these days it's gonna happen i've got nine more chances no nine more cracks at it it's gonna happen one of these days guys one last thing here we'll do this both ways corbin's predicting 35 31 what's the headline coming out of that if it's a four-point game and ou's defense gives up 30 question marks all the way around back to the drawing board Okay, Adam, vice versa. OU wins 41-17. Is this team legit? Well, that's not my score prediction. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'd say mine's fairly similar, 31-10. to 10. I mean, yeah, I'd say 10. this team is legit. They are focused. I think they're not going to let anyone pass them like they have in years past. Um, they're going to come prepared and focused. So I, that's what we've seen so far. Um, they've steadied the storm in each of the games that they've played so far and come out with pretty comfortable wins. Um, so... I think this is another step. It's it's not going to be playoff caliber, you know, today, but it may not be playoff caliber by week eight. But I think by week twelve, this is a playoff caliber team. It can't it can't be OU as a legit playoff contender when you're playing a team who just lost at home to Tulane. Can't be. Yeah, that's why I said week twelve. Yep. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, I guess that's going to do it for us this evening. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at the mainline pod. You can tell us how much you hate the helmet that we created as a potential alternate. <laughs> oh, God. For you to Not wear. we don't, don't want me into that. <laughs> I'll, I'll raise a hand. That was my design. And I agree. I don't think, Oh, you should ever wear alternate uniforms, but I threw it out there as just something to get discussion on and man, did it get some discussion. So make sure to follow us on there so you can participate in that. And also check out our YouTube channel as well. Uh, you can find us by searching for the mainline podcast on there. We'll have some segments from the podcast. There's also a special project that I'm working on that will be released after the season is over. I think everyone will really enjoy that. So uh, you never know what else might pop up on YouTube. So greatly appreciate everyone that's listening and uh, participating on our social media channels as well. And we will see everyone again next week on the mainline podcast. <laughs>